Lord, thank you that we can be here together, that we can hear and know your word, and in our hearts be transformed. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So when you raise four children, you watch a lot of Disney movies. You watch a lot of Disney Channel. And one of the hidden gems in all of that is one called The Emperor's New Groove. Now, it's a classic. I mean, it's a tale as old as time. It's, it's basic fairy tale going on there. You've got, of course, an, an absent, pompous, selfish king. You've got a grand vizier who, of course, as all grand viziers is, is the bad guy. Now, in their defense, they are the ones actually doing the work around the kingdom, so, you know. And then, of course, with the, with the bad guy, the bad guy is going to go after the king to take all of their power and take their stuff. And, you know, as these fairy tales go, the king gets changed into a llama, he has adventures, he gets into precarious situations, he becomes reformed and comes back and stops being a llama. Because, after all, what fairy tale prince does not end up turning into a llama? <laughs> Just a thought. One of my favorite characters from the entire thing is Kronk. Now, Kronk... Kronk is dumb as a post. There's just no getting around it. He is not a sharp guy, but he is really well-intentioned. He's got a very sweet heart, but he works for the Grand Vizier. So he works for the bad guy, but he keeps on messing up. Like he's the reason the king gets to be a llama instead of being poisoned, because he drops the poison bottle. And like he's always to make, trying to make friends with his boss and bake her special treats and things like that. And she just kind of ignores him or shoves him to the side. Well, there's one point in the movie where Kronk is in a situation and he sees something that just blows his mind and terrifies him. And he runs out of the palace, out into the jungle, curls up in the fetal position under a tree. Up in the tree is a little monkey chattering away. And he looks up and he says, make it didn't happen, Mr. Monkey. Make it didn't happen. We run into those moments in our life where something happens that is so hard and so horrible that we just want to curl up and say, make it didn't happen. And that's where our scripture reading finds us today, with the arrest of John the Baptist. The arrest of John the Baptist is terrible. It's a terrible thing that Herod Antipas is doing when he arrests him. John is out there, this incredibly popular preacher, preaching to the people, and his message is just the message you would love it to be. Repent and be baptized. Repent from your sins and be baptized. That's it. Those things you've been doing that you know are wrong, turn away. Turn to God. And then cleanse yourself as a symbol of wanting to move forward. And you want to talk about a ministry that welcomed absolutely everyone. John is preaching throughout Judea. And as he's preaching, he's bringing everybody in, letting everybody come, baptizing whoever shows up. And there's two groups of people that really stand out. One group of people that comes to him after being baptized says, okay, what do I do now? How do I live now? Are the soldiers. And you got to understand, these are soldiers who are being paid by the Roman Empire to oppress their own people. 
These are soldiers who the people around them showing up and listening to John think are traitors to their nation. And I can see them walking up to John, hat in hand, what do we do now? And expecting that John's going to say, quit your job. But he doesn't. John says, don't make anybody carry your burdens for too long. And don't abuse people with your power. The other group of people that really stand out are the tax collectors. These are the people who are native to the area that are going and taking taxes for the Roman government. If folks were upset with the soldiers, there's just no way to describe how they felt about the tax collectors. Over and over within the scriptures we see in the New Testament how despised they are, how excluded they are, how pushed to the side they are. And they came to John with the same question. And his response was, collect what you're supposed to and quit stealing from people by taking too much, skipping off the top, and sending the rest on to the Roman government. John had every opportunity to turn them away, and he doesn't. And this is the person who is arrested. And when he is arrested, Jesus hears about it. And it's not just that, that his forerunner, the one to come before him, has been taken out of the picture, but this is also his cousin, who he knows and who he loves. And Jesus, being Jesus, God the Son, knows that this imprisonment will end only in the death of John. This is terrible. And sometimes in our life, terrible things happen. A medical diagnosis, a car accident, the loss of a job, the loss of a dream. And we have to somehow keep going. When we look at what Jesus does in this situation, it says that after this, he moved his ministry to a new area. Now, for whatever reason, we as people tend to read that as Jesus realized it was too hot and he got out of Dodge where he could preach more, you know, safely. Which would be great if it actually was true, because it's not. Um, it really kind of boils down to the geography of the Holy Land at the time of Jesus, which pretty much, if I were to describe it in a nutshell, is Hampton Roads. At that point, the Roman government says, we don't want any of these kings to get too high up in the air, too up on their own power, and revolt against us. So we're going to divide the Holy Land up into these four different sections. We're going to mix them up so that you can drive on one road and pass through one and then another, and then back through the same one, and then another one without leaving the road. Kind of like Hampton Roads. In addition to it, of course, these little kinglets were all very um, defensive about their rights and their prerogatives and the pomp and circumstance that they deserved. And so the Rome, Rome got, their, got what they wanted. They got their tribute money, they got their political dominance, and they got all four of these areas really just fighting like cats in a bag. Pretty much like Hampton Roads. <laughs> what Jesus actually does is he could have moved about 10 miles south from Nazareth, and he would have been the proconsul of Judea. 
And he would have been safe from Herod Antipas, the guy who actually put John in prison. But that's not what Jesus does. He goes over into Capernaum, which is one of the two main cities of Herod Antipas' area. And his message is repent, for the kingdom of God is nigh. Now, John's message was repent from your sins and be baptized. His is repent for the... You can't hear the message of Jesus without hearing the echoes of John in the back of it. Jesus doubles down. He steps in. He takes that place. He accepts the danger, the fear, the difficulty, and he begins preaching the gospel there. And there are three results of Jesus stepping forward past the pain and the sorrow and this terrible thing that happened. The first result is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Our Old Testament reading from Isaiah is God saying, basically, a couple of the tribes of Israel whose land was relatively quickly taken away from them and who were never terribly important politically in the nation, that there would be, that the light of God would dawn in that area. And when Jesus begins preaching and teaching there, that's exactly what happens. His speech and his work in that place brings this dawn, this glory, this joy of hearing the message of God face to face by God's messenger that touches the hearts of the people. And we see massive crowds, not just following him and hearing his preaching, but the people of the city he went to beginning to call it his home city even though they knew that he was actually from Nazareth. In the same way, when we step forward into the tragedy that we face, and we choose to hold fast to our relationship with God and be willing to share that with others in our lives, we are a light that keeps on shining and shines in those dark places where people are mourning with us the tragedy we are mourning are mourning another one in their own lives. The second thing that we see going on is new relationships. Jesus moves to this new area and he meets these four fishermen. They follow him, they hear him preaching a little bit, and finally the day comes, he goes out on the lake and he says, all right guys, this is it. It's time. Now we're moving the ministry into higher gear. So Philip, so I'm sorry, so Peter, Andrew, it's time to go. Come follow me. Don't you worry about your, your nets and your livelihood. I will make you fishers of men. That he comes to James and to John and says, it is time. Let's get going. Let's get started. It's time to kick things into gear. And we see the beginning of the grouping of those 12 disciples who one day become the foundations of the church that we have and we are a part of. And then Jesus begins his ministry. And I love that in his ministry, it says he went around preaching and healing the sick. And I think this is one of those places where God gives himself away by his actions. Where God lets us in and sees, we can see not just from what God says, but from what he does, what is in his heart. You guys think about it. How many times have you wished that you could reach your hand out to a friend who is suffering and relieve their pain? 
How many times have you wished that when somebody pours out their heart and their sorrow and their emotional and mental difficulty, how many times have you wished that you could say the right words, touch them, and, and, and that they would feel peace, that they would feel recovery and restoration? How many times have we all wished that we could take the pain of the person in front of us, whether the pain of somebody we just met or the pain of somebody that we've loved for all of our life? How many times have I wished I could walk into the memory unit where my dad is and touch him and he would be clear? And here God is with us and he can. So he keeps doing it. So the disciples are telling him, teacher, rest, make the crowd go away. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he teaches them and he heals them. That he stays up to the late night and then goes and has his prayer on the mountain. Because when God sees our pain, his heart is broken. And when he had these three short years where he could touch us, he kept on doing it. We can't do that. But what we can do is we can sit and wait and be with. We can't heal with a touch, but we can support and we can love and we can give somebody a ride or an arm to walk on. We can't do the miracles that Jesus did, but we can step forward from those disasters and pains of our life without having to call them good, without having to say, oh, it's for the best, and let them be the terrible thing they are, but still choose the love of God for the people around us and be the comfort be the love, be the joy that we can be in the place where God gives us to minister.